This is the IBJ podcast for the week of June 27th, 2022, brought to you by Taft. I'm Leslie Weidenbenner, editor of IBJ. Host Mason King is off this week, but reporter Mickey Shuey is filling in with a conversation with Ryan Vaughn, who recently announced he'll be stepping down as president of the Indiana Sports Corp after eight years in the job. I'll turn the conversation over to Mickey. Welcome to the IBJ Podcast. I'm Mickey Shuey. For 40 years, Indianapolis's economy has in many ways hinged on the city's ability to draw in big sporting events. And for the past eight years, those efforts have been led by Ryan Vaughn, president of the Indiana Sports Corp. During Vaughn's time as president, the Sports Corp hosted or won bids to host an NBA All-Star Game, multiple Big Ten championships, the College Football Playoff National Championship, and numerous NCAA tournaments and championships. In May, Vaughn announced he would step away from the role to pursue a job in the private sector, a role we now know will be at local information technology firm Sandy Solutions, where he'll be president and general counsel. I'm pleased to be joined today by Vaughn to discuss his time at Sports Corp, his road ahead, and exactly why he's so resistant to the idea of running for mayor, which his name has been floated for for quite some time. Ryan, thanks for joining me. Yeah, happy to be here. As we jump in, let's take a step back and revisit your your early days at the Sports Corp. What approach did you take to stepping into that role, and and what were your expectations for your tenure? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, one of the interesting things about my early time there is that I I basically came from the mayor's office and didn't have a great deal of background in the sports industry itself. So I understood what I would call one side of the equation, which was you know, how these things come together in Indianapolis, the importance of community partnerships, the impact the events can have. But I really needed to lean on a lot of people to develop those key relationships in the sports industry. And, you know, no one was more helpful than Allison Langton, uh, the former president. Uh, she was just extraordinary. Um, and by the way, she cast a pretty big, big shadow. So I knew I had I had to show up and, uh, and work hard. Um, you know, my, my philosophy coming in, and this will be true. My my transition now is, you know, I, I, I kind of work under this listen, learn, then lead, right? Like go in, understand what's working, um, understand how people are feeling, you know, learn, you know, what their roles are, what what inspires them, um, how they see the the company, where it's at, where they want it to go, and then really kind of craft that plan. And so that that was the approach I take. That's just kind of you know what I've learned from watching other good leaders in the community. So nowadays. Every major city has a sports commission of some kind, and that's been the case since you've been in the role. But in many ways, they all more or less function the same. Uh, in Indianapolis, is that is that true as well, or is there something different about Indianapolis that has led to its success time after time after time in bringing in these big events? Yeah, I think uh, it is different in Indianapolis. Now, we do have some peers that operate pretty closely, but um, the vast majority of the sports commissions are really focused on bringing that event. You know, they're they're focused almost myopically on, you know, what events do I go chase? How do I fund attracting them? And once they get here, how do I execute them? You know, for us, we've always seen sports as the means to the end. And the end was how do we serve the community? And I think that has allowed us to take a much broader vision of our mission and it really kind of crafts the way that not only the way we're structured, but also the way that we think and collaborate with community partners and the way we execute uh, to leave things like legacy impacts around all the events. In your time at the Sports Corp, who have been essentially the biggest competitors to Indianapolis for big events? And how has it changed since you started in the role? 
Yeah, certainly our, our biggest competitors are, you know, frankly, cities that are much bigger than us um, on, on par. You know, Atlanta, New Orleans, Dallas, probably our closest peer would be San Antonio, uh, Houston. So, you know, these are cities not unlike Indianapolis that have multiple professional franchises. Uh, they've seen the value of investments of sports and entertainment, and they understand it. it's a compelling tourism moment, but also brand building moment that really over, how that's changed over time, um, you know, Dallas has really grown quite a bit, actually. You know, the investments they've made out there to attract um, businesses, and, th- and they're also kind of leaning in on some cutting-edge stuff like esports. Uh, but certainly the rise, of, I would say, several Midwest cities. You know, Detroit's on a bit of a revival, Columbus, uh, Cleveland, much closer to home, uh, chasing, you know, many of the same events that we are. Where does Las Vegas fit into that equation? Because especially in recent years, they've they've hosted a lot of big events, whether the Pac-12 championships, a bunch of Mountain West conference championships, and of course they have the gambling scene as well, and, and more of an entertainment approach. But but they've they're no slouch in the sports world now, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you know their rise has almost been inverse to basically the. The idea that sports betting and sports gambling has become much more commonplace. It's no longer this sort of like shady area that scares away, you know, major sports properties like the NCAA, for example, or colleges and universities. I think sort of the cultural normalizing of that activity uh, and the fact that Vegas is incredibly well funded in their attraction effort. I mean, they keep building facility after facility after facility. It seems like every month they roll out a new press release about a different you know, capacity venue they're building. So they're going to be competition for everybody. Um, and they've got the money to to really go out and sort of almost buy the events that they want. Is that an approach that Indianapolis can or should take in terms of buying the events that it wants? Or do you think that the way Indianapolis is approaching it now by building those relationships and, and having that longstanding partnership is more of the quote-unquote right approach? Yeah, you definitely have to have the investment necessary to compete. But again, this is true in New York as well. But like Vegas, I think their problem is going to be once an event goes there, they're not going to change the culture, the nature, or the feel of Vegas, right? So if the Pac-12 championship goes to Vegas and you're walking down the strip, you probably won't know the Pac-12 championship is in Vegas, right? Uh, What we do here is really embrace that event um, and really turn the city into its own playground. We elevate the event. You can't walk downtown during the Big Ten Basketball Championship and not know that Big Ten Basketball is in town. You feel it from the community side. And so that's really what makes us special and separates us. It's going that extra level. It's prioritizing and highlighting the, the partners when they're in town and using it for community impact. In terms of that community impact, I, I think a lot of people would say that one of the most prevalent examples of that during your tenure was the NCAA tournament uh, that was hosted here and throughout the state uh, in 2021. Let's take a step back and revisit that tournament and not only what you learned, but how you take that forward and how the city takes that forward and applies it to other events. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, obviously we were in the, the midst of a pandemic. You know, sports and tourism in particular was struggling as an industry because everything was closed or even if it was operating, the business models didn't work because fans couldn't attend, things of that nature. Uh, but we knew it would come back. And so, you know, one of the things that we got focused on really early in the summer of 2020 was knowing that the Final Four is out there, had been awarded to us, was planned to come in 21. 
how do we be the best friend that we could be to college basketball so that it can get back on track and our city can have that final four moment. And that's really what drove the philosophy behind, you know, building Indy's version of the bubble in partnership with, uh, you know, the hotels and the convention center and the city and the state and the health department and some private partners that came alongside of us to help us execute from a health and safety standpoint. And that bubble, I think, gave us the one to have the courage to go out and build it and do it and say, hey, we can host events and we can do it safely. And then share that nationally, right, with with athletic directors and coaches and things of that nature. I think woke some people up around the country, like, hey, there, you know, there's a possibility that this could come together. This this could work. Uh, we saw similar models pop up in other cities and states, but it got us all refocused on our mission, candidly. Um, and it, we learned a ton. You know, the first execution of those games was actually a FIBA basketball tournament, an international basketball tournament. And what we learned on the logistics side on, you know, transportation, uh, testing, meals, all of that, you know, what we did right and what we did wrong proved to be incredibly helpful when we were, you know, greeted with that opportunity later in the year to get to work on playing the entire uh, tournament, not just the Final Four. Now, we talked about this when it was happening, but there, there of course, were groups that had their eyes on, on Indianapolis before that. And there was a hope that that would spring more interest in the city as a either short-term or long-term partner to host events. What ultimately became of some of those groups that were looking at Indianapolis during the tournament and maybe even came here and, and were hosted by the city to, to explore the space? Have there been any commitments that have been made since then because of the tournament? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the things I don't think a lot of people appreciate, and you've written and talked about it, is that whenever we host these major events, it's not just we're hosting the event, but we're also hosting prospective event rights holders. And more importantly, frankly, Visit Indy goes really hard to work to build uh, that convention pipeline. They've certainly seen some successes. You know, Sweets and Snacks, I think, is a huge one that, uh, you know, was here for March Madness. They saw how we executed. They saw the city came together. Um, they felt safe. You know, now we have an ongoing relationship with them, or Visit Indy does, I should say. Uh, we've got some sports partners we've certainly brought into town, continue to have conversations with, whether it's the rodeo or WWE, other basketball properties as well. So it's all you know part of the relationship building process. So we talked about one of the biggest events that Indianapolis has ever hosted, but what do you consider to be your biggest success in your tenure at the Indiana Sports Corp from an event standpoint? Because I know we're going to talk about people standpoint, but, but from an event standpoint, what is your biggest success? Well, difficult to prioritize much above uh, hosting all of March Madness. You know, that was a very unique once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. A lot of people may not know, but if the entire tournament had went to some other city, so would the Final Four. So we would have actually lost that event. So that was really, you know, really important. And it also, I think we sometimes get so focused on March Madness, we lose the sight that uh, side of the fact that right before March Madness, literally immediately before, we hosted the men's Big Ten, women's Big Ten basketball tournaments, the Horizons Big Ten and women's basketball tournaments. It was something like 98 basketball games in, in three and a half weeks. And so just from an event, operations, execution, right place, right time, that, you know, that was pretty special. I did mean to ask, did you ever catch up on all the sleep you missed during that month? <laughs> I did, actually. My 
my wife uh, scheduled a uh, surprise vacation when it was all over, and uh, we went up into the woods and camped out for a nice week and got a, a lot of R&R. It was great. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm. With more than 625 attorneys across 11 offices, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. Welcome back to the IBJ podcast. I'm going to turn the conversation back over to reporter Mickey Shuey, who is interviewing Ryan Vaughn of the Indiana Sports Corp. So since 2011, Indianapolis has played host to the Big Ten Football Championship and a host of other events for the conference, including the men's and women's basketball championships. But the Big Ten, it's, it's kind of taking a different tack than it has in the past now, and it's going in a different direction by by sending the football title game elsewhere and and expanding its options for the for the basketball tournaments. Talk to me about that and and what it means for Indianapolis. Is is the city losing its grip on the Big Ten? Yeah. So I think it's important. It's a very fair question. I mean, the commissioner, the new commissioner, has been very vocal uh, publicly about his willingness to consider moving the football champ game. And they're obviously taking the basketball tournament to Minneapolis, a place they've not been before. It's important to note that, you know, we still won the championship. We still have football through 2024, and that's as far out as it's been awarded. So we know we have competition. Uh, we know Minneapolis, Detroit, and some other cities, St. Louis, uh, have an interest in it. So it's just incumbent upon us to continue to compete. The interesting thing, which will time will play this out a little bit, is that you know, this commissioner, even though he's in his third year, has actually never had a major championship of any sport outside of Indianapolis because we've hosted and back-to-back-to-back years men's and women's basketball tournaments and the champ football game. So I hope you have a great experience in Minneapolis, but I think they'll start to feel the difference between what Indy brings to, to bear and, and what other communities do as well. And the 2023 will be that first year that they that Big Ten men's and women's basketball aren't here, correct? Well, so it's, it's always, ro- I shouldn't say it's always rotated. Historically, it's rotated between right. Indy and Chicago. And then they did sort of a four-year tour when they went out to D.C. and New York as well. Mm-hmm. But then we were scheduled to have it in 2020. We had the women. The men were canceled, obviously. Mm-hmm. Chicago was scheduled to have it in 21. And uh, they couldn't host it at all. So we hosted both the men and women in 21. And then we were scheduled again to have it in 22. So we've been fortunate to have it for three back-to-back years. But they have announced they're going the men are going to chicago in 24 or 23 and then the men and women are going to minneapolis in 24 and and we didn't bid on those opportunities we had conflicts so tough to say whether we've been successful or not but um we're happy that we got the champ game for two more years football champ game so talk to me about the way you've formed relationships with members of the indianapolis tourism sports community city hall over the past few years because in talking with those involved in this area, there really is that sense of camaraderie, even when it involves working, quote-unquote, across the aisle with people who you may not necessarily agree with ideologically on, on certain issues, but you still have to work together to, to bring these big events here. Yeah, I think the key to the success of the sports strategy in particular over the last 40-plus years has been that 
everyone that's worked on it, and it's always been true that there have been people on different political sides of the aisle, different agendas working on it, have always prioritized this mission's impact on the community and what it means for Indianapolis, right? I mean, this sports strategy is our brand. That's how we're known nationally or, or you know, sometimes even internationally. If you, know, you include properties like the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the Indy 500. And what makes Indy special, I think, is just there is a sense of like commitment to that. And it's good for the governor and it's good for the mayor, even though they're on different parties and it's good for the city. So people, you know, especially I can tell you from my own side, like people who work and live in politics love their job, but they also want to be part of something that's not political. <laughs> you know, and so th- this mission, this community mission is an outlet for that. And so, you know, you think about, you know, me in particular. So I was a, a mayor's chief of staff. Um, I know what the lives of Thomas and Taylor have been over the last eight years. It's easy for us uh, uh, to kind of communicate on that level and get on the same page to help the city, even though that politically we may not agree on very much at all. What we do agree on is that Indianapolis needs to be successful. And, and to the credit of the mayor's office, you know, when he came into office and he had a former Republican chief of staff in this role, there could have been a lot of distance there. And he's not done that. He's been a great friend to our organization. and He's been very open and welcoming to me. And just to clarify for our listeners, Thomas Taylor, that's Thomas Cook and Taylor Schaefer, the former and, and current uh, chief of staff for Mayor Joe Hogsett. What do you consider some of your shortcomings during your tenure? Are, are there events that you would have liked to have brought here during your time? And, and do you, or, or do you feel like you did enough, per se, uh, during, during your tenure as president of ISC? Yeah, I mean... Part of my point of reflection when I decided it was time to to move on was really kind of look back at the things that I wanted to accomplish or I wanted the organization to accomplish, and I felt like most of them I got you know ticked off the to do list, and so uh, I feel good about what we've accomplished. Uh, the organization's in a good spot financially, good brand, good pipeline of events, uh, incredibly talented, hardworking team, you know who I'm intensely loyal to and, and appreciate all that they've done. Uh, great board. You know, so I, I feel like the organization's in a great spot. You know, you always want to do more, right? You know, there has certainly been repeated calls to to reinvestigate. Should we do another Super Bowl? Uh, there's an entire audience in Indianapolis who uh, wonders why we haven't done a WrestleMania. Uh, they're very focused on that on that impactful event. Uh, so there are things out there that certainly we can go chase, and uh, or the organization can go chase after I'm gone, um, depending on who the new board leader and, and president will be. But uh, I feel pretty good about what we've been able to do, for sure. Let's talk about esports and sports technology for a second. Of course, Indianapolis is hosting the NBA 2K League's uh, season this year uh, at Pan Am Pavilion. And that really was touted as a big win for the city when it hadn't done a ton of of esports work before. Of course, it hosts the Combine right now, and, and you can talk about that a little bit as well. But why was that such a big get? with the NBA 2K League. How does Indiana Sports Corp capitalize on that event? Yeah, we began to prioritize the esports space about two and a half years ago. You know, went to a, a sports tourism conference, learned a great deal about the growth in that space. And then, you know, to be perfectly transparent, we didn't have a lot of um, institutional knowledge about how to activate in that space. So we, you know, we adopted this philosophy that we're going to walk before we run. And so we found some local partners, Herena Data out of Franklin and Gio, which is a, a company focused on basically scoring the output of these players. 
and work together to say, hey, like we want to get in this space. We want to learn it. We want to learn how to communicate to those audiences. We want to learn the value proposition of esports. Um, what is it, you know, teaching our kids? How is it impacting our community? And they've been great partners. So for three years, we we spun up this esports combine. And so for the listeners, this think NFL combine for high school esports players. And basically, what it does is it provides a platform for any high school player in the country uh, to showcase their skills to college programs that are actually recruiting these these uh, esports athletes as as part of their college program. And you know, we had, you know, thousands of kids playing, uh, being viewed by a couple hundred recruiters and multiple scholarship matches. And so that was fantastic, you know, and that continues to grow. We're excited about that property. The next step from like that, that sort of walk was how do we partner with a big brand in this space and really learn what they're doing and where they see it going. And, you know, thankfully Pacers Gaming, of course, exists uh, as part of the uh, you know, Pacers Sports and Entertainment franchise. Uh, and then the NBA 2K put out the, the bid, and we thought, you know, here's a trusted partner in Pacers Sports and Entertainment. Here's a big brand in the NBA, uh, and they have a big vision. They want to host their entire season in one city. And, you know, thankfully for us, um, they had a very short timeline, which I think made us more attractive than some of the other cities because of our ability to spin up and execute quickly. And uh, we've learned a ton. You know, it's uh, the esports audience is a very different audience. The way you communicate with them is very different. Um, how we promote it, how you even tell the story. There's so many people who still are not quote unquote believers in the power of esports. So it's it's still in its infancy, uh, but the impact's been great. And the players um, that have been here have been tremendous. I mean, and their social media followings are extraordinary. And so when they're tweeting positive things about you know Indianapolis or they're going to the 500 and they're talking about it on their social channels, it's a it's a great brand building opportunity for us. So in addition to esports, uh, the Sports Corp and the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, the IEDC, recently announced plans to roll out a new not-for-profit called Sports Tech HQ. And that's meant to bring more sports technology firms to Indiana, Indianapolis. And you are, in fact, the interim president of that organization, a role that you'll serve in even after you depart uh, ISC until a full-time replacement is named. Tell the listeners a little bit about this project and and why state leaders think sports tech is an important area of growth for the state's economy. Yeah, this is a this is really a kind of a recent development built off an established strategy. So uh, four years ago, with a, you know great vision and leadership by my then board chair Scott Dorsey, we went out and, and built a partnership in the community. My, uh, ironically, my current board chair Rick Fusen was a big part of that as well. Pacer Sports Entertainment. The idea was. You know, Scott was really focused on, at the time, Indianapolis's need for a prominent tech accelerator. And I had been having conversations with him, which were actually sort of revelations, if you will, about how many businesses in Indiana uh, were founded here or have grown here substantially because they've been able to do business with the sporting events that come into town. Um, and that just kind of got our brains swirling. And we thought, what, what if we sort of meld these two things? Like, you know, there's no bigger name in tech in Indy than Scott Dorsey, and there's no bigger impact on the sports mission um, from an event attraction standpoint than the sports corp. And so the vision became, what if we had a sports tech accelerator where, you know, much like the organic companies like a sports graphics or a TRS that are located here locally have grown because of that, if we were super intentional about it. Right, we brought in these early stage companies, allowed them to develop relationships locally, you know, beta test their products, 
we could see, you know, could we grow the sports business ecosystem? What we found was that, you know, three years deep, the companies themselves had benefited a great deal from the accelerator. They were able to grow, attract venture capital. They loved their time in Indy and they were often, they were successful, but they were more often than not um, going back to wherever they originated from. And these companies are from around the world, right? So, I mean, they're, they're from Europe, Asia, Australia. So Indianapolis itself was seeing great companies come here, be incubated, grow, and then leave. So the, the, the sort of the next evolution of this was, um, you know, leadership at the IEDC level, um, Secretary Chambers, Dave Roberts, others saying, look, this is a growth industry. We know it's a growth industry from independent reports. We've seen the success of these companies come through the accelerator. How do we get super intentional about getting them to make an investment in Indiana? And that's the purpose of Sports Tech HQ. It's to say, you know, what do you as a early stage company need in order to consider an investment in a destination like Indianapolis? Is it uh, add-on funding? Is it connections to advanced manufacturing? Is it more relationships to test your products or to sell your products? And so uh, is it key employees or office space? You know, what are, what are the incentives? And that's really what the focus of Sports Tech HQ is. That, that's not the first uh, big partnership and engagement effort you guys have taken on either uh, in your tenure. Of course, uh, Team Indiana is something that you that you had a, a significant role in a couple years ago by bringing together all these sports commission entities from across the state. Tell me a little bit about where that stands now as you as you depart and and what your hopes are for where Team Indiana goes moving forward. Sure. When I, when I started, there was an independent organization, a uh, nonprofit organization called Sports Indiana. And in essence, it was uh, peer sports tourism strategies that existed throughout the state. I think at the time, there must, I think there were 18 to 19, obviously much smaller, but uh, independent initiatives throughout the state. And they were organized and led by a volunteer board, um, you know, loosely funded from memberships. And while they had been you know, successful in sort of gathering and meeting where they had struggled was, um, frankly, the, the time demands of volunteer board leadership and the financial resources to really kind of push the organization to the next level and help them attract more and grow. And so, you know, we pitched to the to the group. We're resourced very differently than the rest of the, most of these efforts around the state are two or three people at the most. We're, you know, 25. Let us take some um, specific leadership over this and then help craft a broader mission where we could have more impact across the state. And so uh, they agreed. Uh, we formed uh, Team Indiana internally. So it's now part of us. It's just a, a strategy led by uh, Shannon Sullivan and Melissa Thompson on our team. And its mission is is multi-phased. Uh, one, it is, you know, its, its mission is to provide ongoing education for professionals in the space on how to execute these events at the highest level. It was a tremendously important organization during COVID when we were all sharing learnings about what was going uh, well, what needed to change. And we could also speak with one voice to decision makers at the state health departments or, or what have you. Uh, its second mission is um, we actually you know, attend conferences around the country where events right holders are and we represent that brand. So we're not only selling Indianapolis as Indiana Sports Corp, we also sell Team Indiana. So if your event is maybe not of scale that Indianapolis is appropriate, but South Bend would be great. Well, we're there to represent South Bend. So we know what resources are there. We know who to contact. We know what facilities exist. 
and we try to make those partnerships. Um, and I think that's what's been really successful. And then the third, and this will be increasingly important uh, moving forward, is you know there are grant dollars that are uh, shared from the state of Indiana that can help attract these events, and this Team Indiana effort will, will spearhead that effort statewide. And it's not just grant dollars that, that are going to be made available at some point in time. It's also money from the state through this new bid fund that you helped spearhead the effort for in the legislature last year. When you look back at your time at the Sports Corp, is that one of the things that stands out to you that you were able to be part of putting together this effort to draw money from the state to help fund these big uh, sports endeavors, whether it's in a small community or a big event in Indianapolis? Yes, I think it'll be probably the most impactful thing for this organization and mission uh, for their foreseeable future. You know, when I started eight years ago, I remember, you know, opening a desk drawer and there's a five-inch binder, which Allison Lincoln was notorious for five-inch binders, full of uh, research um, that was happening in other states. Um, and at the time, there were only three or four other states that had these bid funds. Now there's like 25. What's happening is that people are seeing that there is an obvious ROI, both in actual tax dollars and you know, in things like brand building, attractiveness of your community by hosting these events. And they're, they're redirecting you know, incremental public dollars to attracting them, and we were not. Uh, not in a meaningful way. And so what we were doing over and over again was basically taxing our private sector partners, not in the you know, literal form of tax, but we would routinely have to raise all of this money privately, you know, tens of millions, you know, between the Super Bowl and the last series of events, over $50 million privately. And, and this community is very generous, and you can do that, but you can't do it every year. You really can't do it every five years. So we needed to sort of build a three-legged stool is what I've been referring to it as. Like, we know it's mutually beneficial to the city, the state, and to the private sector to host these events. Uh, it helps with town attraction. It helps drive revenue. It helps with the vibrancy of your community. How do we find constructive ways for all three partners to participate? Um, you know, the city is in a position to, because they manage the facilities, help on the facility cost side. The private sector continues its philanthropy, but the state really needed, we needed the state to step up in a big way. Uh, we were able to demonstrate the ROI. We do economic impact or reports that show how many tax dollars are generated specifically for the state when we host these events. Uh, and we always want to be a value, right? So we're never going to ask for more than what we generate. In fact, we're never going to ask for more than a fraction of what we generate. W with great leadership from Senator Kyle Walker, you know, he really spent time understanding that issue. Um, he was the champion at the Senate and then at, at the House, and Representative Greg Porter was fantastic on the House side and got it done. And I think it's going to be, you know, there will be no event that that we can't go get now um, and compete on a level playing field, which is exciting. So one of your biggest partners during your time at the Sports Corp has been the NCAA. You worked with them on a multitude of events, not the least of which was the 2021 uh, March Madness. Two-part question for you here. What do you make of not only the changes in recent years to uh, name, image, and likeness, gender equity, but the overall culture of the NCAA? And secondly, do you see the NCAA uh, continue to carry cachet moving forward, particularly as it relates to big events that Indianapolis could go after? Like, Do you, do you expect Indianapolis will continue playing a big role in those events? 
I certainly do. Yeah, I think the NCAA, I mean, there are 92 championships hosted by the NCAA, you know, men's and women's in three different divisions. Uh, certainly the most economically impactful is the men's Final Four, and the structure of that is so unique and so special. Um, you know, our friend Leonard Hoops from Visit India is, is fond of saying it's not a basketball game, it's a cultural moment, right? Uh, and no one has a richer history around that moment than the city of Indianapolis. We've hosted more of those than any other uh, any other city in the country. And the NCAA is a corporate citizen, right? I mean, we've made a long-term commitment to them and vice versa, they've made it to us. So I think they'll continue to be a, a very important part of uh, the cities and the state's overall event portfolio, and particularly the men's and women's Final Four, because um, we're just such a basketball-thirsty state. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of evolution taking place over there. You know, um, pretty significant turnover at the leadership level. A reconstitution of their mission is, you know, uh, taking place, being led by, you know, the president's athletic directors, conference directors. So, you know, name, image, and likeness, I think, really is kind of the tip of the iceberg. I think that the, the whole structure of college sports is going to go some pretty massive changes. But I don't think college sports go away. And we can we can continue to play a big role in that. Mark Emmert is stepping down from the NCAA uh, in 2023, and they're searching for a replacement. Did you ever give any consideration to to putting your name in the hat, or did they ever approach you to to ask you if you had any interest? Ah, uh, no, no. Um, I, I don't know. That's a thing you can put your name in a hat for. <laughs> I'm not really sure how the selection process goes. But I mean, people need to remember, you know, as much as Mark. Was certainly the president of the NCA and the face and the leader of the NCA. The NCA really is a, an organization of organizations, right? I mean, it's 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 all led by committee. It's a very, not always in a great way, bureaucratically orchestrated and structured um, organization. And so, um, you know, and most of those higher ed institutions want a leader from higher ed to lead them. So that's not something that um, no one's approached me, and I didn't approach anybody on that front. <laughs> As far as the Indiana Sports Corp goes, there's some big events coming up over the next few years, uh, including the All-Star Game and another Final Four. But what are the biggest challenges that your successor and the Indiana Sports Corp board face in the coming years? And, and how what can be done to best address those challenges? Yeah, event pipeline is always the thing that we're most focused on out into the future. And we're in the bid process right now. I mean, I left a meeting uh, this morning about the women's final four and what our bid was going to look like we're halfway through another men's final four process and we're talking about events that are taking place potentially in 2030 like we're we're really far out there on some of that stuff always being conscious of the venues and the partners we have and being uh, value add to them what are we bringing to the natatorium you know what are we bringing to lucas oil cambridge the challenge i think for the organization or is really more of a challenge for the industry so particularly at the college sports level. With these major events and conference leadership, like they're really interested in maximizing the dollar out of everything, right? And so what ends up happening is, at what point in the future, and maybe we don't get to that point, is it a bad deal to host an event, right? When does it become too expensive versus its impact? Or when do you choose, instead of doing the one $10 million event, do you go after the 10 $1 million events, like constantly kind of understanding what the nature of that relationship is and then building a pipeline that reflects an even balance. Like you need those big time championship moments, but you also need a lot of stuff in between to fill hotels and convention space and airport runs and things of that nature. So 
And it's a fickle space, you know, uh, leadership changes. I mean, we, we had a unbelievable, to your earlier question, an unbelievable relationship with the prior commissioner of the Big Ten, Delaney, uh, historic. Uh, new leadership at the Big Ten, turnover at the Big Ten, just like you're seeing at the NCA. So to, uh, rebuild all those relationships, you know, reestablish it. So it's, it's stuff like that. It's just a constant relationship building and pipeline building. That's, that's the challenge. So for any successor to take the reins and run with the Indiana Sports Corp, what are the most important qualities for them to have? Yeah, our entire team and our success is built on culture, right? So it's, it's about people. So you have to be able to create that culture. Yeah, I mean, people love to work on things that they're passionate about and that they know they have impact. And so it doesn't really matter if you're at the Indiana Sports Corp or, you know, running a mayor's office or, you know, running a subway. Like, you have to find a way to find the right, you know, create the right culture so that people are excited to show up and work. And then, you know, you'll be both personally rewarded as a leader, but as an organization, um, you'll see that they're willing to do anything to make it happen. I mean, during March Madness, my entire team, as did many others, by the way, outside of our team, worked every single day from January 1 until April 17th, like every single day, all day. You don't do that if you don't, if you don't have a strong culture and you don't have people who are super committed to the mission. And so that's going to be the most important thing moving forward. Now, as, as mentioned at the top, you're getting ready to move over to Sandy Solutions uh, here in the coming weeks, a, a start date of July 18th, I believe. Uh, I should note here that IBJ Media Corp., the, the parent company of IBJ, is a customer of Sandy. What can you tell our listeners about what you'll be doing in that role and why this was the particular one to pull you away from the sports corp after eight years? You mean it's not a natural transition to lead a sports organization to a tech company? <laughs> I mean, it could be. It could be now. Yeah. Um, so I knew that the sports corp was going to be an awesome experience. I also knew that there were other challenges in, you know, in my life that I wanted to pursue, one of which was you know, to dive deep in the private sector with a, with a company that I knew, uh, people that I trusted. And so I always had in the back of my mind, like if that opportunity were to present itself and it was the right time for me personally, and it was the right time for the sports corp that I should probably then move on and do that. And so, you know, after eight years and we've kind of gone through the list of events and organization building and financial building of the ISC, I felt really good about what we had done. And uh, my good friend Jason, uh, Jason Sandy of Sandy Solutions called and and said that he, you know, was on a growth path himself and that he was really interested in building out his senior leadership team. And I wanted to know if I was interested in it. And, you know, just so happens I've known Jason for, I don't know, probably 15, 20 years at this point. We met early on in our political careers. And, you know, I was very happy uh, back then when he started the company 12 years ago to you know, be one of the early investors. He ended up buying everyone out a couple of years later, which is great. He was successful, but I knew what his mission was. I knew what his vision was, and he had seen tremendous success over the last 12 years. And so understanding where he wants to take the company, there's a, a guy that I trust, uh, a company that's built a great reputation. Um, they have a clear vision on where they want to go. I, th- I thought, you know, this is a great opportunity for me. Uh, learn a new industry, deal with people I know I want to work with, take what I've learned from the public sector and law and nonprofit and sort of bring the best of that with me to, to see if I can have an equal impact here. So excited about it. Do you expect that you'll kind of keep your toe dipped in the water of, of the sports industry here? Or are you kind of trying to 
to go cold turkey when it comes to to sports in Indianapolis for a little while. Yeah, I don't want to go cold turkey. Uh, you know, I've had conversations with you know our board leadership, and you know they've asked me to consider serving on the board and obviously in a volunteer board capacity. Um, I certainly want to give as much breathing room to whoever <laughs> follows me to to sort of be their own uh, individual leader. Uh, but most importantly, the thing that I've found, you know, throughout my uh, professional career is that, you know, I, I selfishly, I gain a lot of emotional satisfaction out of service, right? So whether it's serving on the sports court board or the Parks Alliance or the KIPP school board or, or what have you, I, I always am going to find a way to give back to the community because it's, it's uh, it, you know, it just makes me happy. I enjoy it. Um, and I, I finally feel, I shouldn't say finally, I feel like at this stage of my career, you know, having served at or led some of these organizations, I, I have a lot to offer and give back, and I want to continue to do that. You mentioned that, of course, uh, Allison Langton, uh, former president of the Sports Corp, was in some ways a mentor to you as you entered that role. If your successor were to ask for your counsel, is that something that you're willing and wanting to give? Do you want to be there, Allison Langton? A- absolutely. You know, I, I want to help. I will always help as as um, as I can. I mean, uh, I love that team over there. I know how much they love the mission. And, you know, Allison, by the way, eight years later, continues to be a sounding board for me. And, um, Allison, if you're listening, you don't get off the hook. I'm going to keep calling you, even though I'm moving on to another company. It's, uh, you know, one of the great things about this role is the people that I've met, uh, tremendous board members, tremendous board leadership, and, and Scott Norsey and Rick Fusen. And so I lean on all those people, and, and I want to be someone that can be leaned on if needed. You talked about service earlier, and and you have had a long career of service in city county council. You were a close confidant of Mayor Ballard during his administration, including his chief of staff. And, and there's, of course, been a lot of talk about you maybe running for a an elected office, including mayor. But you've generally ruled that out. Why is that? And, and do you think that could change in your mind sometime down the road? Yeah, I, you know, I've always looked, one of the things I've learned, whether it's serving on the council or even when I was a prosecutor or or in the mayor's chief of staff, is that there are a lot of different ways to positively impact your community that aren't necessarily require you to serve in government. You know, there's a lot of civic institutions, charitable institutions who have very broad and some very specific missions that can have tremendous impact that impact is what drives me. I enjoyed those roles. I, I really genuinely enjoyed serving on the council, enjoyed serving as his president, really enjoyed my time working with Mayor Ballard as his chief of staff. But those aren't the only ways that you can do positive things in our community. You know, one of the things that I really want to, uh, going back to my personal goals, is continue to elevate in this community is that the private sector needs to continue to stand up and have impact across this civic spectrum. And leadership can can come and should come in many instances from the private sector. So I'm looking forward to that sort of unique new twist for me personally, not for the community. You know, I'll never say never. You know, I, I, I do love service. I've enjoyed those roles. The experiences I've had have tremendous, you know, afforded me tremendous amount of, you know, learning. But for me personally, they're, they're just, I'm at a moment in my life where I just there's another challenge out there for me that I need to see and learn from. And, and maybe down the road, you know, what, 8, 10, 15 years, you know, if there's an opportunity for service at some level and I'm in a different, you know, state of mind or opportunity, sure, certainly I'd come back. I think it's really important, 
really, really important that people consider and when they can give of their time in, in, in those government roles because there's huge policy decisions being made there that have tremendous both short and long-term impact on this community. And so we need we need people at least considering that. And, and I've obviously done it, and maybe I'll do it again in the future. And ask a little pointedly here, are you ruling yourself out for 2023's mayoral race? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm very committed um, to this it, role at Sunny Solutions. Do you feel like a Republican can win the mayoral office again? Uh, I do if it's the right person. You know, I, I obviously local government is politically divided in the sense that there are Republicans and Democrats and independents. But I do think at the local level, it's less about that and more about who is it and what, what can they bring to the table. You know, in a city like Indianapolis, there's certainly a, you, you just look at straight ticket voting. Democrats enjoy a significant lead on the straight ticket votes. But at the end of the day, and we saw this with Mayor Ballard's initial election, right? You know, it's about where the city is at at that moment in time and who's stepping up to say, hey, I have a different approach to this. Will you consider me? And so most people, I feel like, are pretty independent at the local level, even at this time when there's, you know, hyper-political conversations at the national level and even at the state sometimes. Do you expect that you'll still have your hands in, in politics in some way, kind of behind the scenes? Like, do you expect that you'll like be involved in any campaigns that come up if, if they're the right ones for you? I, I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I can't on one hand sit here and say everyone needs to consider to run and on the other hand say, but I'm not here to help. Right. So, um, you know, I, you can't kind of talk out of both sides of your mouth there. You're either committed to helping good people, you know, find an opportunity to serve uh, or you're part of the problem, candidly. And so, you know, I'll continue to be helpful uh, again when asked and if needed. Right. I'm not. I'm not out there um, seeking moments to, to to influence candidates or campaigns, but I'm I'm happy to provide you know my resources, whether it's time, learning, uh, financial, whatever. Ryan, if we were to sit down and talk again ten years from now, where do you expect we'd find you? Or do you think you'll be back in sports in city or state government? Do you think you'll still be thriving in the private sector? That's a great question. You know, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, uh, where would I be? I, I probably would not have said uh, chief of staff to a, to a mayor and then about to leave that to go head into the world of sports. And, you know, one of the things that I've, uh, I've become very comfortable with, and this actually happened quite early on in my career, is that um, I'm not afraid to walk through the next open door if it's the right situation. So, you know, I've, I've, I've been in law firms. I've ran for office. I run a nonprofit. I'm headed to the private sector. I actually value the diversity of experience and learning that come with it. And so tough to say 10 years from now wh where I'll be. But right now I can tell you I'm 100% committed to what I'm doing next. And that's working with um, you know Jason and his team at Sony Solutions to really continue their tremendous growth um, into the foreseeable future. I will give you the last word. Is there anything else that you think our listeners should know uh, that we haven't touched on today? Well, that's a great question. I, I would say, you know, I, I would imagine this listening audience is, is pretty well informed. My call to everyone always is find a way to make an impact. You know, your community doesn't exist without the generous support uh, of your, you know, not only your dollars, but your time. Serve on a school board, um, run for office if you want, uh, support a nonprofit financially or with your volunteer hours. That's the culture of what makes the city special. Um, we're all connected. We collaborate well. We, we talk well. We care about one another. So let's all work to maintain that. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Ryan. Really appreciate it and looking forward to seeing what you do next. Thanks, as always. Appreciate it. 
Thanks again to reporter Mickey Shuey and to the Sports Corp's Ryan Vaughn. Before you move on with the rest of your day, I want to recap a few things in this week's IBJ. First up, developer Ursal Ozdemir, the majority owner of the Indy 11 soccer team, has purchased the Diamond Chain Industrial Site downtown and plans to build a $1 billion mixed-use complex there that will include a soccer stadium, apartments, commercial space, a hotel, and green space. Mickey Shuey has more on the project, the timeline, and the funding. Also this week, IBJ releases its list of the fastest-growing companies in central Indiana. A company that makes and sells coffee is at the top of the list, with growth topping 860%. See IBJ.com to learn more and see the entire list. Again, thanks for listening to the IBJ podcast. Mason King will be back next week.